This conversation is sharing positive information to help you. No agenda, but a talk to help players and families grow in our great game. Now, tonight, we are lucky, fortunate enough to get to listen and learn from one of the best coaches in our country, UCLA head coach John Savage. John has a lengthy resume of playing and coaching success, has been mentored by some other great coaches, and has been lucky enough to guide and develop, just naming a few, Mark Pryor at USC and recently Yankee pitcher Garrett Cole. Has won an NCAA championship in 2013. He's been to Omaha in 2010, 2012, and 2013. And if I missed a year, John, in the end here, you can you can let me know. He has had 117 draft selections. And in 2019 and 2021, had more players drafted in the MLB draft than any other school in the country. He, he is one of only five coaches that has won an NCAA championship, had the first player drafted in the MLB draft, and coached a Golden Spikes Award winner. He has produced a first-round draft pick in three consecutive years, 2019 to 2021, for the first time in program history. In addition, he has coached 22 players at UCLA that have competed in the major leagues. Coaching career, all of us can respect and honor. Athlete 911, welcome John Savage, head baseball coach at UCLA, and brother Pete Savage, the best high school coach in the state of Nevada. Welcome, Coach Savage. Thank you, Butch. It's a pleasure to be on with everybody. And after the new year, it's it's great to get back on the field and and communicate with our players and certainly uh, it's very appreciative of having me tonight in front of your crew. Thank you, John. Let's start with your coaching career. You were an assistant for a, a very short time before you got your first job at UC Irvine. Can you tell us a little bit about your background so everybody knows a little bit more about you? Real quick, I grew up in Reno. I had two brothers. I was the youngest of the family. Grew up in an unbelievable neighborhood of families and sports and football and basketball and baseball were really the three common themes throughout the neighborhood. I went to Reno High School, graduated in 1983. I was drafted in the sixth round by the New York Yankees by Gary Hughes, the great Gary Hughes. And I uh, decided to go to Santa Clara University and played there three seasons. I was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds. I had a very short professional career of about three years, got into coaching. I was fortunate to be an assistant at Reno High School. I just wanted a, the best thing other than playing is coaching, and I, I loved the game, and um, I wanted to get back in it as soon as I could. I had the opportunity to go to University of Nevada to get my undergraduate degree eventually after I left Santa Clara. I went to Nevada, Reno, uh, worked for Gary Powers for uh, six years and uh, really learned each and every day how to how to navigate as being an assistant. And then from there, I worked for Mike Gillespie at USC from 90, 
97, excuse me, 96, excuse me, 97, 98, 99, 2000. Love Coach Gillespie. Love being at USC. And then I got the opportunity by Dan Guerrero starting a brand new program at UC Irvine that dropped baseball in 1992, brought baseball back. And they're going to start at 02. They started hiring in 2000. So myself, Jason Gill, the head coach at USC, was my assistant, and Pat Shine, Joe DeMarco, and we had a whole year of putting the program together in 2001. Our first year was 2002. I was there in 02, 03, and 04. Uh, loved UC Irvine, loved that experience of building a program from scratch and right into the Big West and Division One baseball. We were, uh, were playoff eligible right away, and in 2005, I followed Gary Adams. Gary was at UCLA for 30 years, so I was very fortunate. Dan Guerrero hired me again at UCLA, and then I'm going into my eighth, 18th season at, at UCLA as the head coach. That's an unbelievable resume, and being at UCLA for 18 years is quite incredible to be at a, a such a high-performing school. Now, let's start with some questions. Let me start with, before we get into the stuff that's really going to help our players and families, yeah, let's, if we can, I want to start with the Garrett Cole, Mark Pryor. Obviously, both high achieving, excellent type prospects. Can you talk to us about what their similarities were? What were their differences? What did you? How do you coach guys that have that much talent? It, it's it's a good question. Garrett, we, we got out of high school. Garrett was a first-round pick out of Orange Lutheran High School. It was really under the spotlight a lot his junior and senior year. Uh, he's very comfortable within that confrontation, that competitive ring, I, I guess you would call it. He was pretty emotional, pretty immature in a lot of ways. So there was a lot of grooming, I guess you would say, just in terms of his date, his daily management, his detail work, the ability and the talent and the skill was obvious to the whole country, but he needed, he needed time. He needed school. He needed to be around people. He needed a, a daily work schedule, and he really needed a routine. He needed some navigation to down that path of where he wanted to go. Clearly, he could have had that path coming out of high school, but he, he was a guy that I think really benefited from going to school. He was our number one guy from day one. Trevor was our number two guy from day one. Clearly, it was one of the best one-two punches in, in the country. Being a Friday night guy in the Pac-12 as a freshman is, is very difficult. He learned how to pitch. He learned a lot of tight games, three to two, two to one, one nothing. You, you name it, he was in it. And everything mattered. So he, it really cleaned his game up in terms of details. Mark was a little different. We recruited Mark at, at USC. He went to Vanderbilt for a year. He left Vanderbilt after a year. He did not. He got roughed up his freshman year. We got him his sophomore year. Mark was really mature. Very, they're both very bright guys. 
but they were just a little, their clocks were a little different just in terms of their maturity. Mark was a little bit more physical at the time than, than Garrett possibly was when he went at the same age, but they loved, they loved competition. They loved being on a team. They loved, loved being coached. Uh, that's the one thing that really stuck out to me on both of them is they really wanted to be coached. Great players do want to be coached and they want to be coached hard. And we didn't treat them any different than the next guy. And I think they appreciate that. And they, uh, you know, got into our systems and flourished clearly. Mark was one of the best pitchers in the country by the time he left USC. And then Garrett was the number one pick coming out of, of U, uh, UCLA. A lot of ca- common characteristics, physically big fastballs, very comfortable throwing strikes. Throwing strikes was really never an issue. They had great connection with the, with the people that they threw to. And they can handle the spotlight. Like I said, they just, they were very comfortable. And that's the one thing that they, they you know, they had a, a good mental game. I think Garrett probably, you know, needed a little bit more teaching on that than Mark. But you also got to remember that Mark came out in, in, in 99 and, and Garrett came out in, in 11. So it was 10 years later. And, uh, but I just can't say. Both those guys made me a better coach, a better, a better mentor, a better communicator, and really, they just went about it day to day. Butch, that they, they just wanted to get better, and they navigated their way into uh, major league stars. Yeah, they were both incredible to watch uh, from a scouting standpoint. John, let me ask you this: we talk about a lot on these weekend calls about how much a guy should throw. How much, how much time do you, you being a great pitching guy, who's had tons of success with guys. How, how much do you believe uh, guy, kids, college guys, high school kids, guys that start to get about that 13, 14 year old age. Yeah. How much do you believe should, they should touch the ball? I think, I think in terms of throwing, having a a really strong throwing program, a daily program, a weekly program, and then, of course, a monthly program. But we we throw a lot. There's long toss. We do give them a lot of freedom. Alan knows our program pretty well, and we've always got really good instruction there. And then... Clearly, we have a, a, fl- a really strong flat ground program. We believe in flat grounds. We believe it's 75 foot and 70 feet and, and of course, 60 feet and then 45 feet. We believe in throwing to the glove side along with the breaking ball. So we're playing long toss anywhere from four to five days a week, uh, a bullpen, sometimes two, depending if you're a starter. But there, it's... It's structured. It's if, if they need a day off, they take a day off. It's, it's not time per se. We just have footage so they have an idea of how far they're going out. We have a 90 foot rule where they really want, we want them to command the baseball inside of 90 feet, outside of 90 feet. We really are putting weight on the bar. We're building up arm strength and throwing it 
with about an 80 percent effort level with some arc of course and body movement and front side and arm path and all those things are all being monitored while they're doing it so it's very concentrated it's very detailed and it's it's each time of the year is different the fall they're building up they're getting into their innings and then they get a little time off and then we ramp them back up for about a month about 40 days and then they start throwing their bullpens again so it's it just we believe in throwing a lot but at the same time the effort levels i think are very monitored the distances are constructed to where it matches their strength a lot of times we don't want guys doing too little and we don't want guys doing too much it's really a, a personal look and it's a it's a build up it's a ramp up and we do want them very comfortable with the baseball in their hand we want the ball coming off their fingertips we want it we want the ball to be spinning the right way we want the ball to be traveling obviously and carrying but it's it takes time to get their lines in line their direction and then there's different drills obviously we you know, we come out of the out of the long toss with but we're a full believer of long toss and, and we're certainly a full believer of of throwing that's great stuff let me ask you this what are the i'm assuming that the people that are on this call and that they're here to learn just like I am you John say you're breaking down your kids and you're they're coming in they're throwing and you're trying to figure out who your starters are going to be what roles your relievers are going to be in yeah what what are the things that you look that you're looking for at UCLA for gosh types that's another really good question we look mostly at starters clearly coming out of high school. Most of the guys that come to UCLA are starters uh, in high school, but we really look at characteristics. I would say some of the characteristics we look for in a starter would be command, especially the fastball command, the in the out, the up and the down, the chain speeds. Uh, we want a high percentage of strike ball ratio with each pitch. Maybe it's three pitches. And in some cases, of course it's four. The ability to pitch backwards, repeat the delivery over a long period. Uh, over a long period means throughout a game, command in and out of the zone. Have as much as command out of the zone as they do in the zone. Be able to get the opposite side hitter out. That's the one thing Garrett Cole, I'll never forget. Garrett Cole came in my first day and said, oh, left-handed hitters suck. And it, it, I got a kick out of that because I'm thinking to myself, you're going to be looking at probably six or seven left-hand hitters every night in the pack and then certainly in professional baseball. So we need to figure this mentality out, but multiple secondary pitches when behind an account, same stuff in the windup in the stretch. That's critical ability to control the running game PFP, which is pitch pitchers fielding practice. Uh, we want a good strikeout to walk ratio, the ability to pitch out of problems. That's major to be a starter, keeping their stuff, holding their stuff, understanding pitch relationships, understand sequencing, Three or more pitches, like I said, we want two plus pitches. Three, I think, a luxury, and four, 
we want, I mean, if you have four number ones and then, then that's, you know, it's, it's, it's unusual, but it's, it can be done. Ability to repeat pitches, durability, ability to pitch with less effort. I would say if you're going to run up into that 80 pitch, 90 pitch, hundred pitch count, ability to throw a change up differentials, be able to get out third time through the lineup. That's the one thing that a lot of starters aren't really allowed to do anymore in the big leagues. It's, it's really trying to get 18 outs in some cases, maybe nine outs in some cases. But using the same plan or changing plans, pitch plans, ability to keep runners at first. Our philosophy is to keep hitters off at first. Our next best thing is to keep them at first. Connection with catcher's glove, throwing strikes is, is never really a, an issue. The mentality uh, th- through effort. And then, of course, you look at all the whip and all the different numbers. But those are those would be some of the characteristics of a starter reliever. I would say control over uh, or command. There's a difference between the two. Command is a, a little bit more precise pitching, I would call it. Uh, really small misses, really going into those quadrants. Control is more balls that are scattered a little bit relievers better the stuff uh, the more you can get away with uh, the ability to come in the middle of the inning uh, which isn't easy uh, wipe out secondary pitches uh, we look for one major secondary a hard breaking balls ability to get back to uh, ability to go back to back days is critical uh, we don't have a lot of back to back days but that's that does that could happen having keep keeping that stuff uh, throughout the weekend uh, having to dominate the same side hitters come in game and, and have a breaking ball right away you may have 10 pitches 15 20 pitches it's you got to go you got to be ready to go as a reliever and then uh, the swing and miss fastball obviously is a characteristic but it, it there's a lot there but we we do eventually try to set up significant roles and some guys are battling for starting jobs and some guys are battling for the sixth inning, the seventh inning, the eighth inning, and then the ninth inning. We, I think we've done a really good job of setting that up like a pro bullpen. And you look at Kyle Mora and Michael Townsend guys that have been in our program. You look at their careers, they had phenomenal careers, but they, they didn't win many games and they didn't save many games, but they, they had a lot of hold. You just have to have guys that are willing to accept those roles and, and we've had, I think, four guys make the big leagues or big leaguer, big leagues that were strictly relievers. So it's not all about being a starter. Your game may not, at the end of the day, uh, say what that is, and which is okay because there's just so much durability now, and, and so many pitchers being used in a game now in the big leagues that uh, really all these things blend together. That's great stuff. You said one, two words. I heard probably about 27 things in order to be a starter, which I think is, yeah. it, it, it shows people just how the depth there is when guys get to college and what you're trying to do to win an NCAA championship. Yeah, You talk about pitching backwards. We have a lot of young kids on here, young coaches that are, they're here to learn tonight. Can you yeah. talk about pitching backwards and what it means? I think the common dictionary answer to that would be 
to change whenever a fastball is in order whenever a fastball is in order and you and you have the ability to throw a changeup you have ability to throw a glove strike slider the curveball is a little harder to land than i would say a swing and miss change which is centered that looks like a fastball and you have differential but you can pitch backwards with the fastball that's where that sequencing comes into play but the the true definition of pitching backwards would be whenever it's a 1-0, it's a 2-0, it's a 2-1, it's maybe not so much a 3-1 because you're almost you're right there on the end of, of the count, but it's more about a 1-0, oh, you can, let's say you go play, you can throw a glove strike breaking ball in there. I guess that would be some element of pitching backwards, but really the, the theme of pitching backwards is really being able to own your secondary pitches. Right on breaking ball, right on right change in fastball counts. The the right on left change in fastball counts. We pitch backwards UCLA with the fastball, and we usually pitch in with the fastball. We'll elevate the fastball. We have different elevations to the fastball. That's not technically, that part is not technically pitching backwards, but it's about, if I talk to every high school pitcher in America, the one common theme that they would tell me that they're all working on their changeups. And the one thing I see is the guys that have the most success are the abilities, the, the guys that have the ability to have differentials. They have separation. They have an 88 to a 70, a 77 mile per hour change. They have a 81 mile per hour slider and a 75 mile per hour curveball. There's different speeds I'm hitting is timing, pitching is disrupting timing. And it's the, the ability to pitch backwards isn't all about the secondary pitches. We like I said, we call it we call pitching backwards with the fastball. And and a lot of times you'll be in looking for a fastball out over the plate, we'll throw the ball in. Looking for a fastball out over the plate, we can throw a change. We can throw a glove strike breaking ball on a two-one right on right that could be very successful. It doesn't need to be an ultra special breaking ball. You don't want it to be a, a, a complete swing and miss out of the zone because good hitters may take that and it'll be, end up being three one. So you got to really know situations and you got to be able to know who you're facing clearly, what their zone discipline is, what their, what they like to swing at, what they don't like to swing at, what would they'll chase, what they don't chase. But the, the ability to pitch backwards, I think, is an advanced element of pitching. And it's, it's the ability to own your secondary in fastball counts. And, and then, obviously, the ability to move the fastball throughout the zone, down and away, down in the middle, I guess you would call it, in and middle and up elevated even further up like a one spot we call it so there's there's just a lot of different avenues you can take when you talk about pitching backwards but the basic rule of thumb is in a fastball count you have the ability to throw a another pitch great great explanation thank you for taking the time to talk about that yeah my my next question to you would be you're in a position where 
you're able to recruit the best players in the country, whether you stay on the West Coast, you go to the Midwest, or you go to the East. How, when you have guys that are elite players and you can only put nine on the field, how important is it that you have to define roles for all your players? I think that's a challenge. That's a challenge of, of any coach, any head coach, any assistant coach to form a team. Baseball's a team game. That you, you sign up for a team game. There's a lot of one-on-one confrontations, clearly. But at the end of the day, you, you're not just building guys with talent. You're building a team. And teams – the best teams really know their roles. They're, they feel very comfortable in their roles. They have a very clear picture of what their roles is, roles are, and they they get put in those roles. Now, roles grow. That's the one thing I think a lot of times young players will give up because, oh, hey, I'm a pinch runner or I'm a, I'm a defensive replacement or I'm a reliever. And there's a lot of guys that want to play short and hit third and, and start on opening night. It's just not, it's not constructed that way. And I think the best thing is they need to understand that they want to be on a good team. They want a lot of competition in practice. I mean, you look at the Pete Carroll days at USC, what, what made them special was the depth of their roster, the, the com- competitiveness day in and day out on Monday and Tuesday. By the time they got to Saturday, it was it, it was pretty straightforward, and, and they were rolling teams, and because they had depth and they had they loved to compete, and they loved to confront people. And in baseball, it, it's a lot you know the same way. We want two catchers, three catchers. We want several middle infielders. We want multiple outfielders. Baseball is built on versatility. All you have to do is look at the big leagues. You look at all those guys. You look at Max Muncie and you look at Kiki Hernandez and you look at, you know, so many guys that are playing all over the place. And so versatility really helps their role, really allows them to have more opportunities, allows them to have better matchup opportunities because at this level, it is matchups and you, you may not hit left-handed pitching very well. We may have guys that hit left-handed pitching. We have guys that can hit velocity. Some guys can't hit velocity. Some guys can have strike zone, strike zone disciplines. Some guys may not have. It's a lot of different varieties, but I think it's so important that you try to get complete. If you're a young player, you don't avoid your fifth tool, right? You, you, you don't, you may not be a flyer. But you're a serviceable runner. You're a good base runner. You got a good baseball IQ. You run the bases. You can read things. You have good awareness of where, you know, where the baseball is. If you, maybe you're, you're not such a, a good runner. It'll go back to Bob Boone way back in the day. I think he had, he was 32 for 32 stolen bases one year and he couldn't run at all. He, he had instincts. So I think the roles at the end of the day, they have to accept their roles. Good coaches, I think, really communicate to their players about their roles. And then as a team, you want guys coming in the game that look like the guys that left the game. There's no drop-off. 
And, and then that's how you really build depth because people go through slumps. People get injured. It's a long season. You're going to have plenty of opportunity. It, it's just, it's all about making sure that you give yourself an opportunity day in and day out and, it, and, and make sure that your strengths, uh, the last thing I would say on that is your strengths, you know, Hey, he's a really good bat handler. He's a really good base runner. He's a really good bunner. He's a really good defender. We had Christoph Bono that made some unbelievable catches in 13 that, you know, he wasn't an everyday player, but he was an unbelievable defender. Guys that came in and just could not wait for their role to, to appear. I think patience and understanding competitiveness, and, and you'll get better not only in your role, but your role will eventually will get bigger. Great, great answer. John, obviously, besides your talent as a pitching guy, I was always struck when I was at ballparks that you were at on your ability to evaluate what you see in a player and how you're seeing that player forward. What, what would you say in the way you would break it down is a UCLA Bruin type player? I, I think competitiveness, toughness, aptitude, aptitude in my, in our world is the ability to learn the ability to take something on Monday that may the game may do to you that, and, and you're ready to maybe go about it a different way on Tuesday, be able to handle that, learning from the game, the willingness to take on challenges. This is a hard game, so you do have to adapt to, to things. But I would say when we talk about components, of what makes a UCLA player, uh, we really look at those three things: the the, comp- the how competitive he is. And that's on and off the field. That could be in. I go watch basketball games all the time. I go watch football games all the time. How competitive he is playing ping pong. How competitive is he playing pool? How competitive is he running a race? How how competitive is he in the weight room? How how competitive is he playing on one on one basketball game? Uh, there's a lot of ways you can see a competitiveness in a person, the toughness, I think mentally tough as well as physically tough. The, those are two uh, different things in a lot of ways. Can he take failure? Can he take, can he handle the game? How does a guy handle a game in the seventh inning and he struck out twice and he's made an error and then here he, here he comes in the seventh, you know, with the game on the line. Is he, is, he, is he feeling sad? Is he feeling sorry for himself? Is he ready to get to and be present and, and you know, get to the next task? Um, and like I said, the aptitude is, is really important. We want smart guys. We want guys that make good decisions on and off the field. We want guys that do well in the classroom, that reach their standard in the classroom. We don't want guys that are followers. We don't want guys that are, they get persuaded really easily. They don't make good decisions, obviously. We don't, we want leaders. We want guys that can really handle themselves physically on a Pac-12 field. Uh, A guy that can really physically handle playing at UCLA day in and day out as well as mentally. We have Dave Snow, who you know, we had the Ken, Ken Revisa, the great Ken Revisa, 
that worked with our program for a long time that really built our pyramid of principles of competing and you name it, he taught it. And we had him for uh, almost nine years. And and then Dave Snow uh, was a big part of that as well. And then now he's with us full time. So he really helps us in terms of being present. Uh, you talk about visualization. You talk about uh, breath. Uh, you talk about the ability to, to be focused and the ability to communicate your feelings and and so forth. And you know, so there's a lot of components, I would say, Butch, that we that makes up a UCLA player. And it's we talk to a lot of people on players. We talk to coaches. We talk to coaches in their in their conference. We talk about we talk to teammates. We talk about maybe opposing players. You know, we can we even ask them sometimes about who's the toughest guy in your league, who's the toughest pitcher, who's the toughest out. We want to gather a lot of information when we recruit a guy and try to get as much information as we possibly can. Also, just the way they communicate, the way they answer questions, the, the way they talk about team, maybe how they, a lot of ways, how they talk to their, to their parents. Are they respectful? Are they clearly projectable, right? That's the word projection is a word that everybody uses when you recruit. What's this player going to be in two years and three years and and, and so forth? Uh, body type, DNA, that's a whole nother subject really. But age, everybody's clock is a little different. Some guys are game play ready when they step on campus. Some, some guys aren't. I remember Ty Moore was a CIF player of the the state of California, and he wasn't quite ready as a freshman. And this guy was the best player in in high school. Um, And and he became a really good player for us, but his clock, it just, he wasn't quite ready. And so, you know, you don't, you never know what you have until you get it. But that is a very true uh, fact. I think from a coach perspective, you just don't know how that person's going to react, how he's going to respond, how he's going to handle success, how he's going to handle failure. Uh, there's a lot of things, but we try to do as much homework as we possibly can. The, the transcript is part of their resume. We look at that. How much does this guy really, how well does he do in school? Is he getting better in school? Is he challenging himself or is he cruising? And uh, we want that best guy that's going to come to college that can handle all those things. That's a great explanation. Wrong. I apologize, but that there's a, it's just, it's just more than just a grading system. The hit and the, and the power and the field and the throw and, the, and then the run, of course, those are the five basic tools that we look at. But at the end of the day, there's so, you know, that six tool that everybody talks about, that makeup is, is such a, a important piece these days because you want guys that that want to be part of a team. And I can talk about being a good teammate. We have several characteristics of what a good teammate is, and and that's something that I would be happy to share as well. No, that's one of my questions, John, if you would go on, what is a good teammate? I think 
number one, cares about the team. Genuine cares about the team. Always has a good pulse for the temperature of the team. Gets genuinely excited when a teammate does something. Uh, I think Steph Curry is a great example of that. Uh, the guy just loves when teammates do well. That culture is just so strong. And, and uh, so I think generally gets excited uh, when a teammate does well. Does anything to win, obviously, within the, the scope of the rules and everything. Has respect and appreciation for everybody in the program. Treats the managers, the groundskeeper, the, the video guy, the, the volunteer coach, as really as well as the head coach. You don't want guys treating guys with more authority different than the guys that don't. That's not what we're looking for. Um, so we want people that really have respect for the whole operation, for the whole organization. We'll always be there. When uh, good teammates will always be there when adversity strikes. Adversity is going to strike. Adversity is healthy uh, in a lot of ways throughout a season. And, and how are they going to handle that? It's mentally tough, clearly. That's what a good teammate will take their word to the bank. I think that's honesty. Is he being honest? Uh, you need to be honest. They need to be honest with each other when they just can't accept things that are not going to be in the best interest of the team. And then he's got to be a self-evaluator. I think I mean, really understand themselves. Uh, you got to know yourself to be a good baseball player and, and also to be a good teammate and, you know, what you do well. We've had non-communicators by the time they leave here. They're unbelievable communicators. They're just, so they really have worked on their game. They really worked on their weaknesses but they also need to, like I said, be able to evaluate. They don't, we don't want coaches as players. We want players to play. We want coaches to coach, umpires to umpire. We want everybody to really do their thing on the field. We're not looking for know-it-alls. We're not looking for guys that will undercut guys in ways or they want the guy in front of them to, to fail. Everybody wants to play. There's no, there's, that's not a, there's no secret to that. But I think at the end of the day, a, a good teammate has all those qualities. And uh, it's shown through actions. It's not really shown through words. It, it's really shown through the cons consistency of a person, consistency of a player over time. Hey, John, question. Uh Thank you about the that that breakdown of what a good teammate is because out in the Twitter world, it's obviously we are a part of yeah. social the social game. Good teammate is always talked about by every coach. Yeah, so it's really an important factor in how a guy is going to be with his teammates mm -hmm. uh, in his team. So let me ask you this question because obviously. Baseball is a game of strength. How much time do you guys spend in the weight room? Uh, we're in the weight room four days a week. We're in the weight room Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday with our strength coach. That's four days a week in the fall. That's four days a week in January. When we get to February, we'll go twice a week. Now, guys are... We have a weight room at the ballpark that's that's constantly being used. 
for mobility and stability and and arm care and ab work and flexibility and so they're in the weight room almost every day in some capacity now we're lifting and we have routines four days a week and pitchers are with pitchers and position players are with position players and body types are a lot of times with the same body type we don't like to really go have a two 230 pound guy with a 170 pound guy they may be in the same group but there may not you know may may not be like lifting partners but but we are in there a lot but we do want them fast we want guys to be able to move we want to be able guys that you know we we really want to know where their weaknesses are they go through a full pelvic spine ankle all like a Sparta evaluation. So, you know, they have their own exercises to get better, to get to get stronger or get more mobile or loosen things up and not work as upper body and lower body together, but they're working separately. There's an arm care clearly is a huge priority. We, we do all the Jager bands. We're, you know, very adamant about that each and every day, but they have a full list of exercises beyond that that will keep them healthy. We want healthy bodies. We want healthy arms. Our position players do that as well with the arm care, just not only pitchers. So it's a full team operation. A lot of it is individualized at different times, I would say, but we're in the weight room a lot. Coach Brace gone to the Dodgers, the Giants, the Astros. Uh, he's gone, been all over the place. Has has taken a lot of different approaches, a lot of different philosophies, and so we we want to get good bodies coming in and make them better. Everybody needs something, and some guys may, you know, need to gain weight. Some guys may need to you know, gain, like I said, the mobility and all that. Some guys may need to to uh, lose weight in some capacity. They get may get too bulky, possibly, and they get too rigid and and so forth. Baseball is a game of easy movements, really, and not hard movements. So it's important that they train the right way, and eventually. We do ramp them up pretty good in the fall because we're not playing per se outside competition. So we can push it a little bit. But as soon as the season hits in February, we do back off a little bit. But they're in there, like I said, pre-practice or post-practice in the weight room doing their specific workouts for to them to either maintain things or to stay away from some hot, some hot items that, that could lead to injury. Thank you. Thanks for going over that, John, because we, on these calls, we've talked a lot about it. And I think people haven't understood just how much time kids actually do need to spend in the weight room doing stuff to maintain their strength. I mean, in high school, there's not many kids that are doing maintenance. They lift for four months. Yeah. And it just, we're trying to show how important it is to just to maintain. Yeah. I think maintain and, and balance, I think balance is, is a really important word. And, and like I said, you got to be able to, and 
maybe not move fast, but move well in terms of mobility. I think it's really important that they function the right way with their shoulders and their elbows and their, and their forearms and their lower half, their lower body, their ankles, all that stuff is, so you have to know what you're doing. You don't want a football lift clearly, and you don't want to start throwing weight around that can really restrict you and and impinging and and all those things. And I know there's a lot of different approaches and philosophies and so forth, but again, we look at it as like a throwing program. How much can that person really physically handle and, and then build up for wherever, wherever he's at, we can build them from there. Awesome. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about recruiting some. Yeah. John, obviously social media has a direct effect on young boys and their families. The pressure to be committed. You get to sign with the school, and I'm not just talking about your school. I'm talking about all yeah. schools throughout the whole country. Yeah. What would be your advice to young players and families about committing their abilities to schools early? Please, whatever you have to say about the Well, I, I think baseball is, is a lot different than, than a lot of the other sports. It really has moved along at a much earlier age than, let's say, football or even basketball. So unf- I think it's really unfortunate at the end of the day that it is that way freshmen sophomores but i just think that at the end of the day if you're a if you're a solid player and you're you're getting better you're growing 90 feet is a long way 60 feet six inches is a long ways it takes time for for each individual to really be able to handle really the measurements of the game, the truth be told. And thrown from right field all the way to third base on a line, be able to long hop that, be able to run a good 90 feet, be able to hit a ball, not only a pulled ball, but a ball opposite field uh, driven. So I, I think, I think at the end of the day, there's so many opportunities. You don't want to jump on an opportunity, your first opportunity. You want to see what's out there. I think that's pretty, pretty safe to say. You don't want to rush. You got to believe in your abilities. You don't want to be scared into thinking that this may be my only opportunity for me to, to do something. Now, if it's your senior year and it's, it's June and you have one opportunity, of course, you're going to take that. But I think I, I really hope we can get to a point where we can move it back a little bit, uh, let sophomores play varsity. Even if you're a freshman, let them play varsity. Let them see how they do at, against older players. Let them compete at that level. And then have colleges be able to get in after their sophomore year. I, I would absolutely sign up for that right now, but it's it, it's about taking care of business. It's about making sure that you're doing well in school, that you have options. You don't 
Hello? How guys do in their league and MVP of a league or first team all league or. Hello? Butch? Yeah, I, I lost you guys. I, are we still there? Are uh, you with me? I'm here. Yeah, I'm with you now. I'm with you now. Okay. So I think I said, like I was saying, I think you just have to believe in your abilities. Obviously, you want to get exposure, but at the end of the day, they're going to find you, regardless of where you're at. They're going to find you. There's too many people out there that are scouting, that are running travel teams, that are working high school programs. Baseball is a small community in a lot of ways, and there's a, they talk a lot among themselves. And if you're a good player or you're a good pitcher, word spreads. And so it's about being a good teammate. It's about being a good uh, player on your team. And then eventually, obviously, you'll get exposure and, and you'll be able to have options. Awesome. Awesome answer. Let me ask you, there's two questions and then we'll wrap this up. And uh, so appreciative okay. of your time, John, this has been gold. How big a part is analytics in your process at UCLA and in your recruiting process? I think when we, when we bring guys on campus, we can really, we, we, we have rap Soto, we have track man. We do get pretty good measurements, mostly from the pitcher perspective. You're talking about ball efficiency and spin rate and extension and height and velocities and RPMs and future. You can really see some future things that you would like from a pitcher perspective. Obviously, exit velocity, launch angle, but from a hitter perspective, like in camp or day team uh, tournament or something at our ballpark, we can put all those that, that, that stuff. We do look at all that stuff when we go out, uh, perfect game, area codes, different events, PBR, have, have, have a lot of measurements. So I think it's all helpful. It's not the end all. It's a, probably a little bit more analytical when we get them here. We try to help things that that are you know deficient but we still are we still grade guys out we have a grading system with tools what tools are important at what position there's priorities at each position that we like and then so we grade them out with what we see you got obviously you got your old watch your stopwatch your radar gun those are the old the old analytics i guess you would say but those things are still very important to us when we do evaluate, but it's a tool. It's a tool that, that helps us, gives us a little bit more information, maybe about a curveball or a slider or a changeup, or of course the fastball evaluation. But at the same time, we use our, we use our instincts. We use our history of evalu evaluation of players. We think we evaluate players very well. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people that, that, that can't evaluate that are getting players. They, they don't, they're not really doing the dirty work, to be honest. They're not 
truly evaluating players. They're they're letting somebody else evaluate them. They're letting somebody else rank them. That's still not our avenue. We really want to be able to self-evaluate and grade guys out and really put guys in, in certain buckets of priority. And of course, it's, it's, it's a game of projection. It's, it's a game of birth dates are important. Grades, clearly, guys are in grades, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. But at the same time, that birth date could be, hey, that guy is, we've had 17-year-olds as freshmen. We've had 19-year-olds as freshmen. So there is, we do look at that. We do, we know everybody's birth date that we recruit. We, we look at birth dates on our roster with the draft moving in July. There's a lot more draft eligible sophomores now, unfortunately, in some cases. That, they'll put a lot more two-year players in the draft than, than, than before. So they move that back. But so we do look at it and we use it. We use it as as a tool, we, it's not a deciding factor, but if there is something that maybe a guy is maybe a borderline guy, we may go to those analytics to see if, if there's a couple of telling signs there that things are going to get better or things are going to stay the same. And so we, we do use it, but at the same time, we really, truly value our own grading system and our own evaluation in terms of recruiting players to our school. Awesome. One last question. Okay. If you're all right with that, what parents are so involved in this process with their kids and obviously it's all out of love and they just, just like all of us want the best for our kids. Mm-hmm. What is some advice you can give parents that are at games with their kids when there may be college guys there, recruiters there, to help their kid not hurt them? I would say take a deep breath in terms of just, it's not a one and done observation. It's not a one and done evaluation. It's, it's, we really want to look at a guy clearly more than once and, not all matter of performance and they have to understand that it, it's really like I said it's, it's body movement it's projection it's body 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 projection baseball projection uh, how well does he see the ball what type of str- strike zone discipline he has how much swing and miss baseball is a tough game you can see really good players play poorly it it happens and you don't want to you don't want to get caught up at least from our perspective we don't get too caught up in in performance we i think everybody wants to when you go out go out and see a guy you want him to do well but at the same time you may want him to struggle a little bit and and see how he handles it and uh, how he stays with the game how he stays with his teammates How's he, how's he, how is his awareness? How does he adapting to the game? If he's, is he adjusting this hitter that's handled a pitcher that's handled him this first two at bats? Is he going to, is he going to get there and fight or is he going to, you know, is he going to fold up? I think parents, 
just need to put their sons in, in good environments, learning environments, positive environments, but they, they know as well as anybody that it's just not a, it's not a four for four, no hitter day in day out operation anymore. As you go on, they must understand the further they go up, the better players keep playing. And, I hate to say this, but the bad players go away. And it's the high school level, the varsity level, then the junior college level, let's say, or the different levels of college. There's a lot of good players out there. And there's a lot of good players in California. I can tell you that. Just being scouting California for over 30 years, there's a lot of good players in California. And, And that's why the highest percentage of big leaders from the state of California. It's, it's, it's a high area of tools. It's a high area of players. They're playing against a lot of good competition. So they also have to understand that. And I, I, I just would not get caught up in umpires and, and would not get caught up in, in maybe opponent or maybe their coach. Just play the game. Play the game. Play it the right way. Go about it the right way. Respond the right way. Be a good teammate and more likely you're going to get a pretty good opportunity. And the guys usually fall where they they should fall most of the time. The one thing about baseball is you look at the back of a baseball card, they come from everywhere. They don't just come from UCLA and USC and Stanford and Cal and, and Arizona State. And they come from all over. And there's a lot of opportunities out there to get better as a baseball player and, and, and to get a really good education. I think patience and, and just making sure that support, playing multiple sports, I know that's a big argument in some cases, but I think just being athletic, being versatile, uh, don't be married to one spot. Catchers can do a lot of different things now. Center fielders can play infield. Infielders can play outfield. First basemen can play third. Second basemen can play short. Short shortstops can play center. There's this versatility. They're they're looking for that at the highest level. So as we are as well. I just think there's a there's a game out there that it's a great game, but a lot of times it, it could be skewed a little bit from pressure or the selfishness or the it's a team game baseball's a team game and they, they, and that's what they signed up for so they have to go about it that that way i just think it's a great game and it's a hard game and it's a game that certainly uh, you got to keep on getting better and better at john great stuff tonight for that was the quickest hour and six minutes that i've lived through <laughs> uh, learned a lot i uh, look forward to seeing you guys play in houston i'm going to go down there for that weekend to watch all those teams and players yep. and yep it should be a great one but just thank you for your knowledge and giving back to the game in this time that you just spent here for the hour and six minutes really yep. appreciate it thank my, you John. my pleasure and uh, I, I i appreciate it thanks butch thanks for having me thank you